Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, what's going on? Welcome. Today we're going to Louisiana, and when I say go, it's G-E-A-U-X. We are going. <laughs> we are going there. I love that. was that. my dad joke, I guess. You're <laughs> Thank you for the mom joke today. Dad I jokes. appreciate it. Guys, we are diving in deep today. We have got such an awesome guest with us today. We're talking to Adrienne Jones-Owen, who is a CFRE, and she's the AVP <laughs> down at LSU Foundation. Um, If you don't know, they're in the middle of a $1.5 billion campaign, and they're already halfway there. Um, Adrian has been, yeah, leading the the operations and building the operations that really allowed them to successfully launch this campaign. And her experience is just really unique, and I want her to walk us through a little bit of that. But just has this really brilliant mind um, that she has really put forth in the fundraising sector in a really unique way. She's a data analyst. She's a leadership junkie. If you f- don't follow her on LinkedIn, like probably put push pause on the podcast and go do that because she just is such a great share of information and a community builder. She's invested in her community locally in Baton Rouge and serves in different boards and capacities that way, but just a really, really good human too. And so she is pursuing her master of arts right now at LSU with a focus in leadership and emerging technology. So really growth mindset stuff and really building effective teams that can raise more money. So if you're here for any of that, this conversation's for you. So super proud of that. Let's kick it to Adrian though. Say, Hey Adrian, and tell us a little bit about your story. Hey y'all. <laughs> she literally said, Hey, literally that's what I meant. Thank you. Hey. Um, so yeah, th- that was like, I'm embarrassed by that intro because it's so generous. Um, you know, I, I was excited when I found you all because um, I'm super passionate about philanthropy. So, uh, you know, a group of people that want to talk about it, I, I could geek out all day. <laughs> day after day um, after day. We would yeah, I'm here for <laughs> it. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I love that you all say, you know, we are for good, because one of the reasons that I really um, took some of my technical skills and started applying them to the field of philanthropy, because it, it was like, I could make such an impact um, and, and, and apply them in such a positive way and really have mission and purpose in my work. And so that's kind of, you know, one of the things that I want to put out there and help people understand is that um, if you want to have just extremely fulfilling work, you don't have to, you know, give up salary. You don't have to do all these things. That I think people feel like you have to do to um, make an impact and, and, and use some of those skills. So Love that. yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here and um, talk about all things philanthropy. I think the thing that I'm most excited about I is... I didn't even say it. Well, I'm going to say that You're too. That. <laughs> but Adrian loves analytics. And I don't know many people in the nonprofit space who love analytics. And it is something that we absolutely have to leverage to be mm-hmm. able to tell our story well, to understand the scope of impact. There's so many reasons. I'm so grateful that there are people in this world that love analytics <laughs> that can help us work through that. And get us excited about analytics yes. too. And let me tell you how good she is at, at analytics. This is, this is what John's alluding to. Yeah. 
she was a, this is how she became started. She came through a non-traditional path, developing her data and analysis and dashboarding skills as a world ranked player of the bleeding edge of world of Warcraft. Mike, Mike drops. <laughs> she is a woman in philanthropy that understands analytics that was doing the, world dominating. This is what Fortnite was inspired by yeah, world right. of Warcraft. And I, and I have to tell you, I actually read that on your bio and I thought this woman knows what she's talking about. Immediately. Yeah. I thought of that. So I'm excited to see how you dive into this. And I wonder if you could just um, talk a little bit about the future of philanthropy. Cause we just feel like, Clearly, in a pandemic, we can see how much nonprofit and mission-based businesses are having to move very quickly to yeah. the new normal. And so, as we're working through this changing and innovating nature of where our, our industry is going, talk a little bit about where you see the future of philanthropy and how analytics play a role in that. Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I think all these things can feel disparate and, and incongruous, but you know, they all roll up to. Um, I think the core thread is making well-informed decisions. And, and um, that's really what I like to leverage data to do. So the future of philanthropy, you know, I don't think philanthropy is ever going to stop being a relationship-driven business, right? Um, at its core, it's about telling a story well, and it's about building those relationships. But data can really help and inform all of that. Yeah. One it can really help with resource allocation, especially in a time like this, you just have to be, be ruthless in how you're spending your time and how you're spending your dollars. And data can really inform that. So an example I'll use is um, direct mail. I was working with an organization as a volunteer looking at um, how, how, what they were spending on direct mail. They were getting, it was a very high return, but almost all of that was on a boomer segment. So I was able to say, why don't we cut out including your millennial and Gen Z in this direct mail, figure out where you can be targeting them probably online for less dollars. And you'll still be making this same, you know, dollar value from, from the boomer. So it'll be a higher return on the investment that you're making, you know? So that's just one way that we're able to really dig into the data to say, how can we work a little bit smarter with the dollars we have? Um, you know, another thing, you know, so future of philanthropy, competitively, you have to be leveraging data um, to make well-informed decisions. So hiring staff, you know, I, I like to say um, every pawn can become a queen. So, you know, when you have someone leave an organization, look, taking a look at kind of like the chessboard of people you have and thinking about where they can go, how you can allocate those resources. I think so often we just, you know, refill the position as it stands. Um, but one of the things that I love about the LSU Foundation and other organizations I've worked with is we can really look at data and say, okay, yes, five years ago when these positions were created, this warranted this portfolio, but now we're seeing more potential over here because the pipeline ha has been built up in this other area. So let's redeploy resources over here. So um, thinking just really strategically uh, about how, how you use the tools at hand is really the biggest way that I leverage data and helping organizations be nimble in how they do that. So looking, you know, real-time analysis on how are we performing, um, what's influencing that performance, and then how can we lean in to those, those positive um, indicators and, and, and 
you know, adjust strategy to um, mitigate, you know, some of the things that aren't working. I mean, a data analytics person that also is saying it's all about relationships. It's all about story. You are after our hearts. Yes. <laughs> you know. And I do think that you have such an important point here because we can sit here as a company and preach about the value in fundraising as an art and connecting on a human to human level. But we cannot discount the fact that the science of it has to be integral because I, I just think about like your investors, your philanthropists, I even think of high level leadership. Not all of them are subscribed to the art of fundraising. You are going to have to make a case, you know, Absolutely. scientifically, you know, the bean counters are going to need to know how we're going to get from point A to point B in I have come to find they don't care how you're going to get there as long as you get there. Yeah. So if you have an innovative approach to how you want to pivot, thank you for talking about not being the same and not thinking the mm -hmm. same five years ago with the position because this world is moving too quickly. We cannot mm -hmm. just keep doing the same old things over and over again. So I think if there's any playbook that you've had prior to 2020, you need to kick that out <laughs> almost. Yeah. We, we need to honor our strategic plans, but we need to take a hard look at them and look at our data and see how that would inform our future path. I think this is just a really fascinating topic. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, one of the things that I think I'm seeing more and more across, like from when I'm doing like an, an, a trend analysis, you know, the things that are really taking organizations to the next level, that's transformational philanthropy. You know, the things that take an organization from 50 million a year to, to 100 million um, or, or from, from 20 to 50, it, it's transformational philanthropy. And that is deeply relational and deeply impact and storytelling driven. But your baseline, you know, your, what is our operational dollars that we can count on year over year so that way we have the potential to dream bigger, that, is 100% science. That is like, yep. if you do the right inputs, you will hit it. And so the art is what takes you kind of um, into the upper atmosphere, but that like core infrastructure of what's going to keep an organization sustainable, that is that that is so easy to figure out in the numbers. So that's kind of, you know, when I, when I tell organizations that, that they wanna dream big, it's like, well, then let's get your baseline. Let's get the science down and then we can take it to the art up above it. Yeah. Cause you can't dream if you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills. <laughs> it's like you <laughs> right. need to have a baseline of support too. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But that, but that's, what's, it's surprisingly easy. It's like, just do the inputs, you know? So Love talk it. us through some of that. Like yeah, where would somebody start and, and how they, how can they start to build that baseline and find those inputs and where do they begin? Yeah. yeah that's a great question. Um, when I start with a lot of organizations, one, it's like metrics are, are obvious and it's hard because you want to maintain inspiration and passion and, and let people kind of go where their ideas take them. But the reality is, is that um, we know face-to-face -face visits <laughs> tend to yield dollars. I think what COVID has shown us is that it can be a Zoom face-to-face -face visit. It doesn't have to be a, an actual physical face-to-face. -face. And I think that was hard for some people to hear, but the, number, the numbers tell us that. Um, you know, one of the other things I think is prospecting, looking at where's like, you know, the four boxes, like look at the intersection of highest affinity and highest capacity donors and go after those. It shows, it's so obvious, but a lot of people tend to really focus on acquisition. And we all know your best donors are your previous donors, but really looking at who's telling you they're attached 
to your mission already and it has capacity to do it. Now, people like Mackenzie Scott come and blow that out of the water. You know, she just gave, you know, multiple millions of dollars to our United Way. I love that she published the names yeah. of the nonprofits because four billion. it was over $4 right? billion. Yeah. And it's, I think it was 4.3 or something like yeah. that. And it's like the, to even give those nonprofits a step out into the world, a national stage. I just think it's extraordinary. Thank you for awesome. pointing out the it ones is. that are local to you too. And unrestricted. Like that's something that people who have God the love power you. to, to <laughs> yes. give philanthropically, like a lot of people don't even fathom, um, the possibility of what unrestricted dollars can do. And that, that is something that I've really, um, I, I, I challenge nonprofits to look at when they're cultivating their donors. Um, because I find so many organizations with large pockets of money, they can't figure out exactly how to spend because they've been so restricted. And I know it's hard to convince a donor to give unrestricted dollars, you know, it's the Holy grail, but um, finding a way to do that and then tell the story about the impact of those dollars is just, can be transformational. Agreed. I love that. So let's talk about leveraging data. Um, and I know you're a dashboard person, so I also want to hear about what you're looking at. You know, what are the, what are the metrics that you're interested in? Where should somebody start from that? But if we can just talk about data, I'd love to hear, you know, where to go from that. This is something I want to step back and clarify. I started out as a studio art major, um, and I did theater all through college. Um, I, I was a working artist and that's how I got my job at the Kirkpatrick Family Fund is they were patrons of the arts and I, and I was a, literally a starving artist. <laughs> um, and, and that, that's how I got my like first real, real job. Um, so you can have a creative mind and embrace data. And for me, it has actually been really transformational because I'm able to apply my creativity in a way that observes patterns and can draw conclusions from those patterns and helps people connect the dots between what the data are telling them and what those inputs actually are. So one of the things like just stepping back high level that I I like to say about data analysis is really use it to ask more questions, not to make assumptions. So what, let's give an example, talking about performance data. Um, You know, if you're looking at a fundraiser and you see that they're down in their visits, but they're, they're still meeting their dollar goal, you know, you might, be inclined to say, well, that doesn't really, who cares if they're down in their visits at the end of the day, it's the cash in the door. So let's focus on that. But that could be impacting their pipeline for the future. And so asking them, you know, why is this a data integrity issue? Or are they just not in the system? Or is it because you're struggling to get these visits? And, you know, how do you feel about, you know, asking questions um, and digging into that is really the way that I like to leverage it. Um, in terms of what I'm looking at, you know, I, I think, Every single day, I like to see where are we on the dollars, you know, because that that's ultimately what matters. But I love to look at things like visits. I love to look at, you know, what's the activity that's happening and seeing kind of what are those trends and, and then asking questions about what might be influencing them. I think you bring up a great point because, you know, one of our hallmarks that we always talk about is playing the long game. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to say, oh, we had a good year or this development officer had huge wins, but we have to be subscribed to the organization's long game to the cause. And that is cultivating. You should be hearing a lot of no's. If you're not hearing no's, you're not asking enough and Mm -hmm. all those other metrics. That's why they all matter. And so I love that you're putting a pin in that because it's so important. Yeah. So that's a great point. When I first got here, the LSU foundation had, um, I think it was a 97% acceptance rate on proposals. 
Oh my gosh. LSU, what are you doing? Which I love that you're like, I'm going to ask a question. I'm not going to draw a conclusion from that. I'm going to ask Correct. So a lot of people were drawing the conclusion that we were just like fabulous at asking. Just as I did. And then Adrian walks in. Digging into the data, right? I I was able to see we were not asking nearly enough. We were averaging five, nine solicitations per fundraiser. So, you know, we had these plans Mm. to ramp up all these fundraisers. I was able to come back to the table and say, look, if we just increased it to 12 or 15 solicitations per fundraiser, that's the equivalent of five full-time employees, you know? Um, And and if we just drew down our our, um, acceptance rate a little bit, that's actually a positive thing because that means that we're asking more and and in theory, we will yield more. And we did. And automatically the bean counters are like, (laughs) yes, you don't need to reach a hundred percent or 97% of your proposal goal. Because if you can show us that getting 60% achieval of that close rate, um, Mm -hmm. could actually yield if you're asking more, I mean, it could, yeah, anybody is going to be able to understand the simple math of that. So, and this Mm -hmm. is why data is so important in looking at your analytics. That's a great example. But, and I, you know, it's like getting uncomfortable is important. And one of the things that we found were people weren't comfortable getting uncomfortable, you know, going after someone that um, they didn't know well or opening a new door. Yep. We found we were tapping the same people over and over. So the potential of our pipeline was tremendous. And, and I see this in so many organizations. They stay in this comfortable zone of this is who we know will give us the money. And if you look at the annual reports and things, it's kind of the same names year after year. Um, and so while you want to go to where you have built-in support, you also have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and, and, and saying, you know, could I ask this person for more? You know, if we gave them a big idea, would they support it? And that that's where, you know, again, that's a very, the art mm-hmm. of fundraising, but this, it's the science that can point you in the right direction. Hey friends, taking a quick pause from today's episode to say that we just love to connect with you. And the best way to do so is to join the good community. It's free. Just head on over to weareforgood.com slash hello, and we can connect with all the resources, tips, tools, and show notes to help you do more for your mission. We can't wait to get to know you. Now let's get back to this awesome, feel good conversation. I want to step into my confessional here just for a second with Adrian as my priest because it, because something has been haunting me since we started this conversation and I and I want to put it out there that I was one of these people and I need I would love for you to respond to it because I'm guessing there's a lot of people in fundraising who are the Becky Endicotts of their organization but I am I was a major gift officer that had too many things going on in my world and I was awful about putting my data into the system. Yeah. John and Julie are shaking or nodding their heads because they are like, Becky, it would like be like pulling teeth to get me to get a contact <laughs> report in. I did put my proposals in, but everything beyond that, which, which they you understand. They all up here on your notes app. Yeah, it's probably like on my text. Yeah, that my notes <laughs> app or in my text thread. But it's like, even fundamentally, I understood that that was crippling the organization by not taking that out of my head and putting that somewhere. What advice do you have for the Beckys of the world that are out there that say, I have too much going on. I can never find the time to put the date in. Tell me, scare, scare the life out of us and tell us why (laughs) this is so important that you need to find time to do this. So I have a few thoughts. One, I will say, you know, we talk about making things as low friction as possible for our donors to give, right? We want it to be a few clicks away. We want to make it as easy as possible. 
I think we should be looking and leveraging technology in such a way that we make it as easy as possible for fundraisers to fundraise. I like to believe in a two-click rule. You shouldn't have to go more than two clicks deep to enter your information. That's not always possible or not, and it's not always perfect, but, you know, leveraging technology, voice to text, you know, oftentimes fundraisers think out loud. So understanding that saying, okay, then we're going to make sure that we have really robust voice to text software that you know, and then we have a process by which it goes and gets cleaned up before it's memorialized in the database or whatever. Um, you know, thinking about how to work with the fundraiser, I think is really important. The other thing I will say is for people on my side of the shop, you have to show the value of that data. Like what good is data if you're not applying it? So one of the things that we did was we made metrics very public. You know, when I very first started, metrics were not visible to everyone. You couldn't see anyone else's portfolio. It was very hard to figure out what everybody's activity was. So, you know, the fundraisers were telling me we want to be more collaborative. You know, I want to know where I stand. And it's like, well, to do that, we're going to open up the entire system. Um, as soon as metrics start being visible, people start putting in data, you know? We're all busy and yeah. we kind of did the same thing in one of our shops. I mean, we had a Monday, we had a huddle board and every Monday we would all gather around, you know, for 20 or 30 minutes and just look at our data and see where it's pointing. And, it, and there, the data also informs really great things. I felt like we could celebrate milestones. We would celebrate huge wins. And, and to me, one of the great hallmarks of having that experience every week with our team is that, you know, somebody who was on the op side could very clearly see how their work was so fundamental and important to what was happening on the front end with this, with people who were actually soliciting. So I think these are really great tips. I I, I totally uh, agree with that. I love the idea of the huddle. Um, And one of the things that our team does is really, you know, we'll call through contact reports to find um, things that are worth celebrating and kind of push those up. We have a briefing that goes out, you know, and, and um, good moves will get highlighted in that way. You know, we also had the whole team saying we want to be able to collaborate better, but you can't collaborate if you can't see what, what the other person is doing. And so that visibility is really important. I think it takes an institution that's willing to say, these are not your prospects, these are the institutions. And so that's another kind of cultural shift that I see in a lot of organizations is because it's so relational, people feel like this is my relationship with the person. Um, But it's gotta be the, the organization's relationship with the person at the end of the day. And so that's where you have a responsibility as, as a sound steward to put that data back in. I love, okay. If I can just pop in here, this yeah. is because this changed my mind. I wasn't on the back end side. I was on the front line fundraising, mostly on the annual mm-hmm. giving side. Um, I think it's like, you've got to have this like team minded approach. You know, it's not like y'all are the police on the contact reports, which is <laughs> honestly, I think some of the viewpoint of that or the researchers doing something separate, but mm-hmm. it's like, this is a team. Like we're fundraising as a team. We're coming together. We're using the people that have get this part of the brain. Hopefully the fundraising people have the relational part. And it's mm-hmm. like, y'all can come up with a really solid plan, which is why these evolved shops have dedicated yeah. resources to these teams. Yes, that's, that's uh, exactly absolutely. right. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that our team says is um, it's our job to make your next year successful. And so I it is that. very like bought into, we're going to help you hit your goals and we're not going to give you goals that are not achievable and attainable. Yeah. Um, and, and, 
you know, I, it's weird. It becomes a lot more therapy than I think anybody <laughs> I ever because your self-worth is so tied up in your performance. Right. And uh, I couldn't get to it because I had to take my kid to school. And like, all of a sudden there's this, you know, all these feelings coming out and the analy- analysts are like, I'm terrified, you know, but, <laughs> but you, you, you settle into this comfortable space that says, okay, well, look, if you just get, you know, this is one of the ways they figured out to, to work with people like you is to say, okay, if you just get four more visits this month, you'll be on pace. Do you think you can get four more visits? And they'll say, yeah, I can do four more. And, and it just kind of like helps break it down and make it feel manageable. How, and how gentle and kind is saying something like that? I mean, that doesn't feel overwhelming. It feels like it really does feel like a partnership when you can, can come at it in that way. And I, I yeah. do believe like prospect researchers, if you are listening, we understand you are the aces in the hole for, <laughs> I mean, it really is the linchpin to having a very robust major gift shop. And so we, we have such a heart for the small nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you have some advice or counsel for, um, organizations who are listening right now that don't have the ability to have a prospect researcher on staff or have these sort of data teams, like where's a good place to start for them? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the highest um, return on investment, like if you're thinking from like a maximizing point of view, the, the biggest opportunity is with a small shop because you can really just dig in. You, I tell people all the time, you just need a spreadsheet you know, and start, <laughs> I'm excited by the word spreadsheet. And I feel like <laughs> I'm glad somebody uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, like I said, starting to leverage it for segmentation, you know, just thinking really strategically and, and with surgical precision about how you're focusing your time. That to me is the best place to start in really saying like, who are the highest potential people um, in, you know, prospects for us and how can we engage the leadership to move them along? Um, I think that's really important. The other thing I'd say is use your boards. You know, my board has been tremendous. While I um, ha- have lots of experience in education and all these things, um, every single every single board meeting, you know, every day I meet with a board member, they challenge me. They say, "Well, you know, why do you have confidence in that number?" You know where do you get that? Well, where are you on your cash versus fundraising, you know, and you just kind of are like, well, I need to, I need to know that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I see that with so many nonprofits is they have board members that, you know, maybe they use them from a relational perspective, but use their business savvy as well. Okay. So if you follow Adrian online, she like, here's something I love about you, Adrian. Is that everywhere you go, I feel like you're learning and then you want to leave it and you share it with people. And I feel like you're like, hey, I went to a junior league meeting and here's four things that I took away. And I'm like, okay, let me take notes on your notes. (laughs) Like it's so, it's so powerful. And so I know you were like a leadership junkie and I know that you were a world-class World of Warcraft champion Mm -hmm. over here. What are some, what's a couple leadership principles that you've really employed and I'd love it if you tied it back to Warcraft because I'm just interested and fascinated. Yeah. I love this question. So what where I will start is by saying that um you know to do what I do effectively I have to empower the people around me. I have to to lead my team but but trust them to execute and like be far more brilliant than I am and just you know go forth and conquer. And that's one of the things that I really did learn in World of Warcraft. Um, You know, I had to recruit and develop talent on a globally competitive stage, which a lot of people don't understand. You know, um, there were 13 million players at the time that I was, you know, 
world ranked and our guild is one of the best in the world, but we also, you know, we're competing with other guilds that people could go, come and go anytime they wanted. So for me to um, do the cool things we do, I have to be able to recruit and develop really world-class talent. And so that, that is truly something that I kind of learned through World of Warcraft. And, and what I, and like a tactic that I use is really an individualized approach. I love Strengths Finder. I love understanding um, what makes each of my team members unique and what makes them tick and figuring out how do you recognize and reward them in the way that's meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people that truly is money, for some people that that is title, for some people that that genuinely is recognition or exposure. Um, I call things, I had a former boss that would call them pie moments, performance, image, and um, exposure. So, so giving people feedback on how are you performing? What was your image in this situation? And, and, and did this give you, was it positive or negative exposure for you? And, and it's such like a cheesy, like business school thing, but you realize that there are some people who really benefit from a framework like that. Some people, absolutely not like the analysts in the background that just want to like know that they can go home at five and that's okay. And they're not going to look at their email anymore and like clear boundaries or what are very motivating for them. Great. Nothing wrong so, with that. Yep. You yep. know, I, I, so for me, it's very much like figuring out what makes your people tick and giving it to them. Um, the other thing that I will say um, about World of Warcraft is, and this is what got me into data and technology you have to, it, it's, it could be information overload, right? And if you Google, you know, um, World of Warcraft user interface, you would get these screens that look like chaos. I mean, truly like, like a Jackson Pollock. People just put <laughs> way too much stuff on the screen. And what I learned at, at really high levels of play was putting as limited information in my visual field as possible and, and pushing information forward that was necessary for me to um, make a decision without thinking. And so all of my strategic thinking skills were spent, um, you you know, my brain was free to be strategic and think about how am I gonna position? What am I going to, um, how am I going to respond to the environment? And and the the, um, more, you know, things that I could offload would just like pop up and I would do them and I didn't have to think about it. Uh, That is actually like a very pliable strategy for most fundraisers. So for example, donor birthday cards, like having some kind of automated, you know, put it uh, or have like set reminders integrated into your calendar or, or your database. You know, um, if you have someone that's aging out, you know, ha- having set alerts to remind you about those people. So that way you're not trying to manage the whole, you know, eat the elephant, you eat it a bite at a time, you know? So that's, that's one of the other things I really did learn from World of Warcraft is don't try to take in all the information at once. Don't try to do it all at once. Use your brain to think strategically about what you need to. In the fundraising analogy, that's your prospects. How am I going to move this person? How am I going to secure this gift? How am I going to connect them to this mission? Offload the remember their birthday, offload the put in your contact report, you know, all of the rote stuff don't spend your brain power on it. Find a way to offload it as best you can. 
that's why Obama didn't pick his lunch. He had somebody <laughs> else do that, right? <laughs> so nobody didn't wear the same suit every day or whatever. I just feel like <laughs> I am loving the juxtaposition yeah, so of this lovely woman wearing pearls in a suit jacket, talking about <laughs> gaming and data. And it, for anyone who thinks this is random, people, gaming is becoming a major part of philanthropy. Did you see what happened with St. Jude on Giving Tuesday, nine-hour live stream on YouTube? I mean, the game theorist <laughs> raised three million dollars for St. Jude. We just yeah. talked to somebody mm-hmm. else on a podcast who had raised, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars by having um, someone that plays NBA basketball was raising money for a charity online, an influencer. Yeah. So I, I love the creativity in this. I love how you're bringing analytics into the conversation. It just makes me feel like philanthropy. This is your time, like nonprofit. Yeah. We are in need of these of these groundbreaking, disruptive ideas. And to your point, Adrian, we've got to look at our data. We've got to take these steps and make sure that we're just not willy nilly <laughs> jumping yeah. out there and making uninformed decisions because even something like creating a process for gaming to go to fundraising is just fascinating. So um, I, I just think you've had such an interesting breadth of experiences in your career. I wonder if there's a story of philanthropy mm-hmm. that has stuck out to you um, as being a powerful one in, in your life. Yeah. Um, so there are, there are so many. Um, I, you know, I had one that like was the first one that popped in my mind, but then another one jumped in like shortly thereafter. So I'm going to go with that. Um, you know, I was, when I was driving to work this morning, I saw two of, I call them my donors. I mean, they're not my, but two donors that I've worked with on their bikes in my neighborhood. And I was like, Oh, I guess they live in my neighborhood. I didn't even realize it. And it made me start thinking about their story. Um, they, they're both on faculty here. She was one of the first female chemists at LSU. Oh, um, he, he was a world-renowned glass blower that came to the chemistry department. They're just incredible people. They had a son that passed away really tragically, and he was just like a bright, shining. He was getting his PhD as well, um, and it was devastating for them, as you can imagine, and I worked with them to establish a scholarship in memory of their son, um, and then they also, as, as part of that, um, commissioned this incredible art piece on nanotechnology within um, a building here on campus. And I get to pass by that every day and see it, it's stained glass. So it, it scatters this colorful, beautiful light, um, you know, a, a, across this entryway. And in their scholarship, you know, I, I was just going through these reports and, and is awarded, I think it's the 10th student now. So it's just the, the incredible ripple effects that can be paid, um, you know, that, that come across over time. It's so inspiring. And it made me so happy to see them on their bikes, like just like smiling and happy because, you know, they were in such a sad place. And, and it's incredible how philanthropy can just be transformational in such a positive way. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that, that's something that I think about is how, how philanthropy can really turn a tragedy into a, a moment that can change the life of a student, that can change the landscape of campus. Be so healing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love that you switched your story just based on what happened to you this morning. And I think that is the power of the space of which we work right now. And, and working in this space, I mean, in a moment, you could think you have a script and then everything can change in an instant because of 
what happens in your life. And that is the power of philanthropy to me is that we, we don't want them to sit in their grief. We don't want them. We, we want them to take that love and spread it around that they had for their child. And they, we want it to grow and foster more and more. That was a beautiful story. Thank you for saying well, and that. You know, they, they've, they've had so many other children that they've now put through school. It's uh-huh. just incredible, you know? Um, so the ripple effects of each of those people is tremendous. Love it. And you telling that story also, I feel like I want to call this out because it's something I feel really passionate about is that, you know, none of us in this room went to school to be in development. (laughs) You know, you were in studio art and ironically, three doors down, I was in the graphic design school at the same time as you, right? But we just need to follow our passion because this space needs all of us. And it really needs people that see the world differently, that think creatively, who would have thought that you'd be leading this effort that leads to these kind of gifts coming through that mobilizes mm-hmm. a team that raises 750 million plus dollars already and $1.5 billion campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's we amazing. need to just show up for this space because there's a place for us all, you know, figure out what yeah. you can bring, bring your world of Warcraft dashboards and change the world. And I just, I love that part of your personal story too. So, okay, Adrian, you've given us a lot, you know, our last question, is always, could you give us one good thing? And this is just a secret to success or a growth hack or something that we could do today. Yeah. So my one good thing is I start every day with gratitude. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but for me, it, it forcing myself to do it has been transformational to my just internal well-being. Um, especially in a year like this, I think it's really important. So I have a gratitude journal. If you Google, I think it's called daily gratitude journal <laughs> and, and, and you, and you it, it starts with three things you're grateful for um, and something that you want to do right today. And then at the end of the day, it's three good things that happened and something that you wish you could have done better. And it is so powerful to just bookend your day with gratitude. Um, it really helps maintain that growth mindset um, and can make, helps you maintain perspective and so that's just, you know, I, I think everyone can benefit from it. How perfect is that? We just did a big series um, on mindsets and growth mindset and empathy mindset and goal setting mindset. And I, I, I do believe that there is something to having something be extremely routine in your life that can literally give you a sense of purpose and it, it can be a very freeing thing. I think th- these are things you could do with your kids. I think these are things you could do with your grandkids. Um, yeah. And it's just something that anybody could subscribe to. That, thank you so much for the hack. We'll make sure that we put that uh, Google Daily Gratitude Journal in the show notes so people can check that out. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Adrian, how can people connect with you? Um, where are you on social or the LSU Foundation? What's the best way to find you? Yeah, so, you know, ping me on LinkedIn. Like, I, I, this is so dorky, but like, I love LinkedIn because it's where people talk about what we do. People right? love you like, on LinkedIn. Twitter, you know, yes. I, 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 but both, of, but Twitter can be a hellscape. You know, LinkedIn is like a safe, warm, fuzzy place, you know? Indeed. Um, There's fewer so trails. Like everywhere I'm slash Adrian Annette. So you can find me Perfect. slash Adrian Annette on like all the social media things. I even, I, I don't do anything on TikTok. I just lurk, but like all of them are <laughs> slashing your internet. So 
Adrienne Annette. She's got her own personal brand there. And I will say, if you are not following Adrienne on LinkedIn, you're missing out because she shares incredible content and resources. So if you're somebody that is a lifelong learner like Adrienne, then you would get a lot out of her LinkedIn. Go find her and connect with her. So this has been awesome, Adrienne. Thank you so much for being here. Super fun. My cheeks hurt from giggling so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. We hope Adrienne inspired you to leverage data to ask better questions and raise more money. I know you hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. Did you know every Monday we send a weekly roundup of our best content and resources to our good community? It's free to sign up at weareforgood.com slash hello. And if you love what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our show. Thanks so much, friends. Our producer is the ice latte and our coffee order, Julie Confer. Hello. And our theme song is Sunray by Remy Boersboom. Go rock this week, do-gooders. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.